0: so grateful you're here. Uh, He's going to teach us a piece called Christ and the Passover. And as someone who is born into the lineage of Judaism, Stephen has a unique angle and a way to help us understand the roots of our faith. So please give a warm Grace Fellowship Church welcome to Stephen Katz. Thank you. Good morning. Shalom. Who said that? All right. Boker Tov no yeah he's like that uh, <laughs> means good morning and you can remember it by thinking of your broken toe um, <clears throat> my wife last night after dinner she said how was dinner with the pastor and i i said uh, we ate at panera she said no no not where you ate how was you know like the pastor i said oh he really nice guy and really down to earth and um i like down to earth people I like you, Pastor Jeff. Yeah, it was a really nice time to get to know each other. And uh, I appreciate this invitation to share Christ in the Passover with you and share our ministry a little bit. Let me start out with a question. If you were to ask some Jewish boys or girls who the hero of Passover is, after giving credit to the Lord, who do you think they might say? Moses. Moses. Bingo. Good answer. True. But not necessarily the whole truth. Because if you were to ask some Jewish boys or girls who know the Messiah that same question, who is the hero of Passover? One of those kids might just say Jesus. Now, somebody's probably thinking, how does this work, Stephen? We know you're gonna talk about Passover and we know Passover is Jewish, so what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, I figured out from the first service that you guys know something, so uh, you know that Jesus was Jewish. And not only did he celebrate the Passover every year while he dwelt on earth with us, but I think he's clearly pictured in all of the symbols of Passover and in the story itself. The message of Passover very simply is the promise of redemption. And the story of Passover is the story of our liberation from bondage. So this morning as we go through a very traditional Passover setting, I I don't want you to just see it as some explanation of an ancient commemorative meal. I hope you see it like I do as an object lesson on the life and the mission of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you look closely, I think you might see a picture of his death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. Now, if you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We're gonna read just a few verses. Luke 22. And this is my moment to tell you that uh, I was in California until Friday night. I I came back just to be here at the church. I was out there because my daughter was going to have a baby on the 12th. And I thought, okay, I'll stay till the 21st. You never know. You never know. You don't know anything. The baby's still not here. (laughs) She's 11 days overdue, so I'm going back tomorrow. Okay. Luke 22, starting in verse 7, we read, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And moving to verse 13, they left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. The first night of Passover begins a week-long holiday mentioned here in the text called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during that week, we eat nothing that contains any leaven or yeast. Why? Because throughout scripture, leaven is frequently used as a symbol of sin. In olden times, a small piece of leaven would be used to ferment the entire portion of dough. If you spend time in your kitchen, you know that leaven or yeast causes dough to rise, to become puffed up, just as sin can cause us to be a little puffed up with pride now and then. So during this week, we eat no leaven as a way of saying we want to break that cycle of sin in our lives. And that's why in some Orthodox Jewish homes for up to six weeks before the holiday, the entire house undergoes a complete spring cleaning. We remove the cakes and the cookies and the breads and the cereals and clean out the toaster and the cabinets and get rid of the cookie dough ice cream. Doesn't sound like fun, right? Well, okay. Passover is... A joyful holiday. Once the house has been cleansed, we're ready for the celebration, and it includes singing and a built-in Q and A session and things for the kids to do. It's really great, but my ancestors were instructed to eat that first Passover meal a little differently, with loins girded, sandals on their feet, and staves in hand, ready to go at a moment's notice. But like I said today, it's different. We actually recline on pillows as we eat. We get to relax, kind of slouch over and. Some of you are in the spirit of that this morning. It's nice. <laughs> the, reason, the reason we do that is that in ancient Middle Eastern societies, it was only the free who could recline at dinner, only the redeemed. Now, in a traditional Jewish home on Passover, the head of the house puts on special ceremonial garments. He wears a white robe like this one called a kittle, which reminds us of the kind of robe that a priest might have worn in Bible days. And... I'm guessing that many of you are familiar with the fact that Jewish men often cover their heads as a sign of respect before God. You know what this is called? Yarmulke. Yarmulke, You guys are sharp. I didn't hear beanie at all. Well, yes, (laughs) but on Passover, we wear something a little more elaborate. It looks like a crown that a king might wear because on Passover, the head of the house is like a priest And like a king and as he fills those roles he guides his family through this traditional passover seder seder is a hebrew word it means order because there's a very clear order of service and we find that order in this book we call a haggadah, which means the telling you'll see lots of pictures and words all telling the story of how god redeemed the jewish people from slavery in egypt we are all set to go thank you to whoever provided all of this we begin with a traditional greeting we're supposed to call it out our front door i used to make my daughters do that they hated it but we say let all who are hungry come and eat in case someone doesn't have somewhere to go for the holiday but i'm glad that you can hold on till lunch because unless you eat candles there's nothing here Uh, but come celebrate passover with me it does begin with the lighting of these candles and it's usually the honor of the woman of the house to do that but my wife is with our daughter in California, so I'll take the honors this morning. She's better at it than I am. Okay. Well, once I get them lit, I'm going to recite the traditional Hebrew blessing that she would normally say. It goes like this. Baruch atah arunai olam asher lahadlik yom tov. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart with your commandments and commanded us to kindle these festival lights. Now, Passover is much more than just a meal. It's quite a banquet, and it's not a regular weekly worship experience. It's a very elaborate and complex annual ceremony. So where a normal meal and service might take one or two hours, the Passover celebration can take four to even six hours. And of course, in the first service, we couldn't do that, but well, okay. (laughs) During that time, each adult will drink from his cup and refill it four times. The first cup is called the Kiddush cup or cup of sanctification. By the way, I should mention that uh, you should have gotten one of these in your bulletins. And uh, it has some of the information that I'll be going through. Uh, You can follow along with this uh, if you'd like. The second cup is called the cup of plagues or the cup of deliverance. The third cup is the cup of redemption, which is a special one I'll say more about later. By the way, if you didn't get it, I see the ushers have those brochures. You can raise your hand, they'll be happy to give you one. Lastly is the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. But with the first cup the father and the rest of the family lift our kiddush cup aloft we offer praise and thanks to god almighty king of the universe creator of the fruit of the vine now we've officially begun and uh, the youngest person present comes forward to ask the meaning of passover he or she would ask four traditional questions, actually sing them. They're found in the Haggadah. I'm the youngest of three in my family, so it was always my job. And the first one goes like this. Manish laila hazeh Mikol Haleot, Mikol Haleot. Which simply means, why is this night different than any other night? And those of us who know the story begin to give the answer. We say, This is because of what the Lord did for me. When he brought me out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when he redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. If you remember anything about Passover or my presentation tonight, I want you to remember that word redemption. Because folks, redemption is what this holiday is all about. But not just God's message of redemption, no. With this holiday, God gave us his means of redemption through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. My ancestors were told, take a spotless lamb, roast it whole without breaking its bones, and apply its blood to the door frames of our homes, the lintel on top and the two side posts. It was through our obedience to his command and through our faith in the effectiveness of what he provided that we were spared the destruction of that tenth plague which fell in the land of Egypt. For when the Lord saw the blood on our doors, he caused death to all right you got it passover that's where the name of the holiday comes from in hebrew pesach the holiday we remember that death passed over the houses of israel because of the blood the blood of the lamb the passover lamb it is a remarkable act of god's redemption we were singing you know he does great things it's a picture of an even greater act of his redemption through the sacrifice of another Passover lamb, our Messiah, Jesus. Think about it. Moses wrote the Torah, the Genesis through Deuteronomy. He says that at Passover, none of the bones of those lambs were broken in their deaths. What did the Gospel writers tell us? As Jesus was slain at Passover, none of his bones were broken in his death. My ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of the lambs to the doorframes of their homes. Well, in faith, we must apply the blood of the Messiah to the doorframes of our hearts. But think of this, where did God tell my people to put the blood on those doors? Let's start with, okay, the lintel, the top, yeah. Lintel's a fancy word, that's right, the top. He says, take a branch of hyssop. Anybody know what hyssop looks like? Yeah, I never met a person who did. I Googled it. It's a very long branch. So if you're a short man or woman, no worries. You can still reach. So you dip that thing in the blood, you splash some of that up top, what's gonna happen? gonna drip down on the ground and then we put it on the two sides what a picture of redemption that god gave us 1500 years bc blood up high down low and on the two sides actually prefiguring the wounds of our messiah on the cross well now the child asks the second question why on this night uh, Anu <speaking in Hebrew> Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And we explained that our ancestors, in their hurry to leave the land of Egypt, had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. I'm gonna show you a bunch of items up here on the table. I wanna start with the blue one. It's called a matzotash, And inside are three layers of unleavened bread, matzah, each separated from the others by some cloth. And on Passover, you see the various compartments, on Passover, the head of the house removes the middle layer, breaks it in two, we set one half aside, and the other half gets a special name. We call it the Afikoman. Let me hear you say that. You know what language that is? Hebrew. Nope. She said Hebrew. It's not Hebrew. It should be Hebrew. Why isn't it Hebrew? Good question. It, it is Greek. And you've got to wonder, why would a, a very important symbol in a major Jewish holiday, have a Greek name? Why in the world isn't it Hebrew? I'm going to answer that a little bit later, but I'll tell you that afikomen, short for, I think, afikomenos, uh, for you purists, it means that which comes or he who comes because that's what happens in the ceremony. We don't eat it now. We wrap it in a white cloth, and then it's hidden from view, buried. No one else at the table knows where we hide this, but later on, the children have to find it, or we can't even finish up. So now the child has two more questions. Why on this night do we eat bitter herbs? And why on this night do we dip our food twice when normally we don't even dip it once? I'm gonna use this plate to help me explain. This is called a Seder plate. And um, when I'm in Tennessee, they all think it's a Jewish picnic platter for deviled eggs, but it's not. (laughs) And I know no one here was thinking that. We put symbolic foods into these compartments, and each of them tells a little part of the story of redemption. I'll explain. The first item is this one called carpas or greens, and we use parsley, and if I could, I'm so strong, and uh, (laughs) the parsley represents life. But before we eat it, we dip it into salt water, which represents the tears of life. And we do that to remember that a life without redemption is so often a life that is immersed in tears. Then we have something called the uh, chazeret. It's the root of the bitter herb. Often a horseradish root, as you see up there, sometimes an onion. It's to remind us that the root or the beginnings of life are very bitter if you are born into slavery as were the Jewish people back in Egypt. Then we've got something called maror, which is the bitter herb itself, freshly-crowned horseradish. On Passover, our rabbis tell us to eat about a full teaspoon of the horseradish. I hear some excitement out there. Yes. Were you volunteering? Okay. Uh, Do you know what happens when you eat that much horseradish? What happens? You cry and your nose are, exactly, well, guess what? Passover's in April, so we're passing over it. But um, (laughs) ain't gonna happen, but you're welcome afterwards to try. Um, Our rabbis want everyone around the table to take a moment with tears on their cheeks and remember the difficulty, the anguish, the sorrow we experienced as slaves in Egypt. Then there's a nice contrast, something called haroset. It's a brownish-colored mixture made of Chopped apples and walnuts and honey and cinnamon and a little wine or a grape juice. Yummy, yummy. It's very good and very sweet. It's supposed to look like the mortar that our ancestors made bricks for Pharaoh. Well, why would we use a sweet mixture to represent such a bitter memory? And we explain that even the most bitter labor is sweetened when God has given you a promise of redemption. Amen. Amen. You know that's Hebrew, right? Anyway, the, uh, the last symbol is the Chagigah. That was a name given to a, an additional sacrifice offered on holidays like Passover when the temple in Jerusalem was standing. We would roast the egg, which burns the shell, and turns it dark brown. We break it open. Everyone at the table gets a piece. But before we eat it, we dip it into our salt water, which represents what? Tears. Tears. That's because it's a token of grief to the Jewish people over the destruction of the second temple. Now the last symbol on the table is this one you might think is a little weird. It's called the the, um, Zerohah, and that is the shank bone of a lamb. Okay, some people think of Passover as the feast of the Passover lamb, but guess what? In most Jewish homes today on Passover, we do not eat lamb intentionally. Why? Because the lambs we once ate on this holiday were from the animals that were offered up as sacrifices. But in the year 70 in the first century, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed along with the altar where those sacrifices were performed. So from that day to this one, no animals are offered up, so no lamb is on the table. Instead, similar to the egg, this bone just reminds us of sacrifices that are no longer performed. But Those two items on the table raise some tricky questions. Think about it with me. There's no temple any longer, no altar, and no sacrifice. Uh Uh-oh. How is sin atoned for? How do we find God's forgiveness? The law of Moses is unequivocal. It says, I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Now, I'm a Jewish missionary to my own Jewish people. And this subject comes up fairly frequently. I think I'll, I'll, I'll sneak in a quick story I didn't have time for in the first service. When I was 20 years old, I was a new believer in Jesus, pretty spanking brand new. And I went to Israel for my very first time. And uh, I wound up meeting a guy that was looking for what appeared to be wayward Jewish youth and bring them back to a, a, a strict observant. Judaism, you know, Orthodox Judaism. And anyway, I kept running into him and he kept inviting me to something. And I kept saying, no, finally it was embarrassing. I I went with him and I wound up in the office of a very famous rabbi named Noah Weinberg. And uh, I had long hair then and a beard and, and uh, he said, uh, first question as I walk in the door, do you believe in God? I said, yes. Second question, what do you believe about him? ooh, I'm a new believer in Jesus. Am I going to out myself and, and say something or am I gonna wimp out? Well, I said, <laughs> probably God help me, but I said, uh, well, I believe Jesus is our Messiah. And you can imagine he wasn't too happy. And uh, we wound up having a conversation that was very intense. I'm glad you have a beard. I'm gonna come to you and uh, I'm warning you. Uh, you, you. What's your name again? Michael. So in the Middle East, personal space is not like Shrewsbury. Okay, if I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to stay here and we're going to have a nice conversation. In the Middle East, I'll do it to him. In the Middle East, if we're going to talk, we're talking like this. Okay? And uh, you know how guys with beards, I'm sure you do it and you do it and everybody here with a beard does it, some, and you, sometimes you kind of. You know, everybody likes to touch their beard, right? I've had a beard a lot of years. Uh, You you just kind of stroke it. Maybe it's a self-comforting mechanism or you want to look smart or something, whatever. But um, I was talking to him and I kid you not, he was stroking my beard and he was saying, sorry, man, but it's creepy. But um, he was saying, come back, come back to Judaism. And it was a bit unnerving. And uh, anyway, we had this dialogue for a few minutes. I better wrap this up. But uh, I didn't know a lot about the Bible. I was a brand new believer. But I remembered, you know, he said, you got to keep the law. You got to observe it and all the commandments. And I said, well, I remembered in Habakkuk, it said, well, the, the righteous live by faith. He, literally, he said, faith schmath." And then, and, then, um, and then anyway, we kept talking. And I, I, I raised this issue of sacrifice. And the blood of the animal being needed for our sins to be forgiven, and at that point he began to yell at me with all of his lungs, "You mean to tell me you believe God is some type of primitive, bloodthirsty being?" It was a very intense moment. It was hard, and I was thankful that not long after that his phone rang, and I walked out. <laughs> not exactly a a, a hero. I, I you know I was a new believer, but. It's a good question he asked. Is this relevant to our lives today? We're talking about an ancient practice. Yes, it's relevant. I'll tell you why. The rabbis who wrote the Haggadah and created this elaborate Passover ritual based, of course, on things in scripture, they tell all of us around the table to use our imagination and pretend as if God were bringing each one of us out of the land of Egypt. And families reenact this. We all use ways to, to make it come to life for us. You remember it says, uh, when the child asks the father in that day, why do we do these things? I quoted earlier what the answer is supposed to be. This is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of the land of Egypt. And we've been saying that for generations and thousands of years now. It's a great way to personalize the story of the Exodus. But I think it stops short, because I think we also need to personalize the need to be redeemed but with no temple and no altar and no sacrifice, how is that even possible today? Well, about 2,000 years ago, there lived a guy you've heard of him. His name was Yochanan. You know him better as uh, John, John the Baptist. And he was at the River Jordan baptizing people one day and he saw another Jewish man approaching him. It was his cousin, Yeshua, whom we know as Jesus. And John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how redemption is possible today. Not through the blood of lambs any longer, but through the blood of the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, Amen. Amen. our Messiah, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, now the child asks the second question. Uh, uh, why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? Uh, I already went through that, man. I am, see, I'm jet lagged. It's actually not the second question, it's the second cup we're moving into, so let's do that. The second cup, the cup of plagues. Uh, The fruit of the vine in Jewish tradition is a symbol of joy. You know, uh, if you read in Proverbs, wine maketh the heart glad, et cetera. We all have different convictions on that. Just know in Jewish tradition, four cups, lots of joy. But, um, (laughs) But we actually diminish our joy a little bit at this point in the ceremony, why? Because we remember for God to redeem us from Egypt, he first poured out 10 plagues on the Egyptians. And yes, they were our enemies, but they were human beings. Think about it, they lost family members, they lost property, they lost the fabric of their society. And so we don't rejoice over that, we symbolically uh, mourn their loss, express a little sorrow dipping our finger in the cup and letting 10 drops fall onto our plates as we recite those 10 plagues together, diminishing our joy a little bit. But Passover really at its essence is a night to rejoice, to praise God, to thank him. And this morning I praise the Lord. Not only that he redeemed my ancestors from their slavery in Egypt, but I praise him that he redeemed me from an even greater slavery, slavery to sin. I was raised in the Chicago area in a conservative synagogue. Uh, I don't know if that means anything to some of you, but uh, kind of a traditional home, but not a home that had a lot of personal faith. We just, if I can put it this way, we did the Jewish thing. You know, we did what we were supposed to do and we were in the Jewish community. But by the time I went off to college, uh, I didn't know if there was a God. It wasn't that big a deal to me. And, anyway i wound up writing a research paper for a jewish professor because i started looking for meaning and i was looking trying to figure it out why are we born if we're just going to die life is so temporary anyway i wound up writing this paper why the jews at the time of jesus didn't believe he was the messiah i had to see what did the jewish people in the first century expect why didn't they think jesus fit that portrait And so I looked at the prophecies in the Old Testament. I didn't have a Bible, but uh, they're not hard to steal, so I got one. And um, I had loads of questions, but I I, I don't have time to tell you my full story. I have it in a little uh, booklet in the back, in the foyer out there. I'll meet you afterwards. But suffice it to say that it became a, a rather difficult internal struggle. Being Jewish, you know, there's a line in the sand And the Jewish community's on this side, and Jesus and his friends are on that side. You're not supposed to cross the line. So it sounded like it was true, but I couldn't go there. Anyway, a few months pass. Long story without the details. I became convinced, and I received Christ into my life. Christ is, of course, Greek for Messiah. And you know what I've learned since then? It doesn't matter this morning whether you're Jewish or you're not. What matters is if you've placed your faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. It's only through faith in him that any of us this morning can pass over from death to life. Amen. All right. Well, it's time for what we call the Shulchan Orach. It's a little bit of a break uh, because it's now where the pots and pans in the kitchen and all your favorite stuff like the gefilte fish, uh, you know, comes out. and uh, You don't know what I'm talking about. And you probably don't want to know. Anyway, <laughs> it's an acquired taste or you got to grow up with it. Um, pretend you're having a nice meal Uh, this would be the moment and uh, I want to tell you a little bit about the ministry of Jews for Jesus when I'm done we're going to finish this up showing you even more clearly how these symbols point to a fulfillment in Christ but uh, if you've not heard of Jews for Jesus before we are an international missionary organization all of our missionaries are Jewish uh, like myself or we have a few that are married to a Jewish spouse and we are bringing the gospel to our people in about uh, 13 or 14 countries around the world where there are major Jewish population centers. Uh, I'm our North American director, though I'm heavily involved with Israel. And these days, one of the rather new and difficult pioneering efforts that I'm leading is uh, a new team within our ministry to reach ultra-Orthodox Jews, uh, uh, Jewish people. Uh, we, we did it in, uh, you don't need the whole history, ask me later, but uh, we're, we're gonna focus in certain areas in New York, though we have spent time in Jerusalem doing it, where I led a team, and it's very uh, difficult because these are very insular communities. Typically, their first language is Yiddish, and, um, um, They're not interested in in outside ideas of any sort, let alone uh, hearing about Jesus. So uh, I hope you'll pray for us. I normally have a coupon or a little tear-off thing where I ask people to fill it out so you can get our newsletter and you can pray for us. I don't have those with me this morning, but um, Chrissy helped me create some sign-up sheets. And the first service was great. A lot of people signed up. I have those on my table in the foyer. I hope that you'll sign up on there with your info so you can get our free newsletter, emphasis on free. But the newsletter will tell you stories of Jewish people coming to faith, give you some help in sharing your faith with Jewish people you might know, give you background on holidays like this as they come around the year, insights into Jewish culture, et cetera, and Jewish evangelism. Uh, I want to make a friendship with this church, so I hope you'll pray for us. Uh, and that's because, you know, whatever. It, when we prayed before the service, the pastor quoted from John 15. You know, if, if, uh, without Jesus, essentially, we can do nothing. You know, the vine, uh, uh, the branch that's cut off from the vine. So we need your prayers, folks. Um, I brought some materials that could possibly help you. This is a free brochure on witnessing to Jewish people. It'll help you with a few ideas. Uh, This is just a nice little pamphlet that goes through the seven major Jewish holidays and how they all point to a fulfillment in the Messiah Jesus. And then uh, this is the full story of uh, how the Lord brought me to faith. Uh, So, you know, you'll hear about my family and how I grew up and, and more about that paper and other influences that the Lord used. And then I have this book, Christ and the Passover, by far the best book on this subject if you want to read more about it and get more than we have time for this morning, Christ and the Passover. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say about our ministry. I'll be at the foyer at our table, so if you have questions, hey, come and talk with me. I want to hear your first name. (laughs) So let's go ahead and... uh, Finish up, we, we've just uh, gone through the first two cups. We've had our ceremonial meal. By the way, I hope you weren't eating lamb or ham in here in your mind. But anyway, uh, the third cup, the cup of redemption comes after the meal, but we actually can't drink it yet because we have to find something that's missing. Do you remember what's missing? The unleavened bread, the matzah, yes, the afikomen and uh, the kids would run around the house and find it, except for that year your dad put it in the piano and fell behind the strings, that that was not a good year. Um, But it's then returned to the head of the house and broken again. Each person at the table gets a small piece of it about the size of an olive, and that olive sized piece is then taken with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Does that look just slightly familiar? It really should, because it was this moment in the Last Supper, which was the Passover Seder, that Jesus instituted the, the communion, the Lord's Supper. But not only that, think about this matzah. Uh, it's unleavened, which can be a symbol of a sinless nature, and our rabbis give us guidelines about how we prepare matzah, if it's going to be suitable for use. One of those is that it must be pierced. It has to have holes in it. I don't know if you can see the light coming through the holes. If you have good eyes maybe you can notice it but uh, of course we know Jesus was pierced and the Lord himself God himself spoke through the prophet Zechariah and said they shall look upon me whom they have pierced but I can see Jesus symbolically not only in the matzah but also in the matzah tash you remember this pouch had three layers we took the middle one out well there's a lot of disagreement in the Jewish community about what this thing means some rabbis explain that the Three layers there must represent the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Other rabbis explain that, well, they may represent the threefold division of worship in the Jewish community, the priests, the Levites, here it is, and the rest of the people of Israel. But again, it doesn't explain why is that middle matzah broken, buried, brought back? It's it's a bit mysterious, and the reason is that It's very ancient, this whole tradition. And the origins have been lost, and so our rabbis fill it in with meaning, and there's actually even more competing explanations for what that might possibly mean. Well, this morning I'm gonna offer an alternative explanation that I think will answer our questions. Uh, I told you that afikomen is a Greek word. Why a Greek word for an important symbol in a major Jewish holiday? Did Jewish people actually ever speak Greek? Well, the answer to that is yes. When Greek was English, Jewish people spoke it. Yeah, how's that for a riddle? When was Greek English? Greek was English in the first century when it was the language of trade throughout the the known world, the the, the language of commerce. Everything was conducted in Greek just like today it is in English. So we know that's the slice of time when Jewish people spoke Greek and the fact that this was given a Greek name indicates it must have originated in that general first century time period. So um, the explanation I'm going to offer you also comes from that same period of time. Three layers, but inside the pouch they form a unity. And there's a Hebrew word that means that kind of unity. The word is echad, which reminds me of what God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 6. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the word for one in that sentence, echad, is used to mean a unity, oftentimes throughout Scripture. And on Passover, the head of the house removes just the middle layer of that unity. It's made visible while the other two remain hidden from view. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We Jews who know the Messiah believe that the unity of the matzotash bears witness to the unity of one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why is the middle matzah broken, buried, brought back? We believe because Jesus was broken for sin at the cross, buried and brought back in resurrection. He said, this is my body broken for you, given for you, for all of us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, third cup, cup of redemption. Another little Jewish tradition about wine. On Passover, we don't drink white wine. We drink only red. And I asked a rabbi why that is one time. And he said, well, the color of the wine is supposed to remind us of the blood that was shed by those lambs in Egypt to redeem us from slavery. Talk about kind of a wow moment that sounds almost like the gospel right because in the same way the blood of another passover lamb jesus was slain to redeem us from our slavery to sin and it was this cup the cup of redemption coming after the meal about which he said behold the new covenant poured out for you in my blood he was speaking of the new covenant god had promised through jeremiah chapter 31 where god would forgive our sin put his law in our hearts he would be our god and we would be his people the cup of redemption taken with the afikoman in remembrance of the blood and the body of the passover lamb you know in the half of the world's jewish community there's kind of a two major parts i won't go into all the background on that but in half of the world uh, the jewish community before they eat the the broken piece of afikoman in their haggadah they have to utter a phrase and it says in remembrance of the lamb, and then they eat it. And that tradition is among Sephardic Jews, which are Jews that were uh, sort of buried in Middle Eastern lands. Their traditions are extremely ancient and unchanged. And I think about the Last Supper and these guys doing that. You could call the apostles Sephardic Jews. And, And they're about to eat it, and they say, in remembrance of the lamb. And Jesus says, wait, stop, guys. Yes, in remembrance of the lamb, but... I am the Lamb of God. Do this in remembrance of me. It just works. (laughs) If I'm filming it, that's how I'm filming it, all right? My Passover lamb this morning is Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, praise the Lord, which is a good segue because we get to the last cup, which is called the cup of praise. In Hebrew, the cup of hallel. We sang earlier hallelujah. You're singing Hebrew, thank you. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. This is the cup of praise that we drink as we sing from the Hallel Psalms, 113 to 118, and we bring things to a close. But um, I'm going to bring things to a close this morning and tell you a little bit about a fifth cup that I haven't mentioned until now. It's over here. It's called the cup of Elijah. No one drinks from it. And in most Jewish homes at Passover, there's a whole place setting here at the dining room table for Elijah that no one sits at, but it's all set up. What is that about? Well, I'll tell you. According to Malachi, uh, some people know him as the Italian prophet Malachi, but um, you know, he's the last guy in your Old Testament. According to some verses there, before the Messiah would come, he would be preceded by the return of. Elijah the prophet and so we send a child to the door at this point he opens or she opens it up and we hope that Elijah might accept the invitation and enter the home and announce the coming of the Messiah we actually sing a very poignant song and and I'll sing part of it for you now and you'll get you'll get a feel for what this is about we sing Eliyahu Hanavi—that's Elijah the prophet. Eliyahu Hatishbi the Tishbite. Eliahu Eliahu Eliyahu Hagiladi the Gileadite. Bimhe may Amenu soon, speedily in our day. Yavo Eleenu may He come to us. Imashiach Ben David with the Messiah, son of David. And we sing this several times as everybody is watching the door, waiting and wondering, will this be the year that Elijah will actually come and tell us the Messiah is here? But, you know, in early April, uh, uh, Passover will take place this year. It takes place every year in the springtime. And I've never read in the paper or seen on the TV news that Elijah's shown up anywhere. Little disappointment, but I knew to expect it. Why? Because I know that Elijah has already come. When Jesus spoke to the prophet John, he said, if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. And so the forerunner of the Messiah has been here, which is a signal to us that the Messiah himself has come. Jesus, the Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, chosen to redeem his people and all people. From sin. We have covered a lot of ground. I am done. We've covered a lot of ground. You're going to remember 100% of this. <laughs> At least you'll remember that this holiday is all about what word? Redemption. Redemption. Good, that's right. I want you to be able to remember that, to share that. Redemption is one of those religious words, but just think of it as freedom, We all have friends and family and neighbors and co-workers who desire freedom. And some of them go about it in all the wrong places. That's right. But in the Lord, there is freedom. And we want to share that message with them. And hopefully, if you have some Jewish friends, maybe a little bit of this will help you share. Right now, Pastor Jeff is going to come. We're going to have the Lord's Supper together, communion. And we are going to commune, be together with the Lord.